Welcome back. This is the second episode of the special edition of my podcast devoted to the culture and arts of Ukraine. What you can expect from this short series is to learn more about Ukrainian artists, authors, movie makers, musicians and so on. And from there you can start researching on your own. Follow those people, read their texts and start learning about the country. Give them the attention they deserve. Now is definitely the time to do so. It has been two weeks since the release of my first episode with Tatiana Astapenka. And unfortunately, like everyone knows, the war still continues. We see more and more images of death and destruction spread through all kinds of uh, channels. According to the latest news uh, by BBC, already three and a half million of Ukrainian people uh, were forced to flee their country to the neighboring countries and then farther if they have the possibility. And another six and a half millions uh, were displaced inside the country. So usually people were moving from the east to the west. But now we also know that it's not safe there either. In Lviv, that is located 70 kilometers from the Polish border, there were already reported bombings and attacks happening. It's really, really a horrible situation. And we are all praying for peace and for it all to stop. But while preparing for this episode, I took a short trip to Poland uh, to visit my family, but also see how the situation feels and looks like in Poland, because the country is located, of course, so close uh, to the war and uh, to Ukraine. And I was very much positively surprised what kind of solidarity is being spread, how people are helping. It is really, really beautiful that wherever you go, uh, you see signs of solidarity, you see the colors of Ukraine, uh, you hear people speak about hosting families or wanting to help. You see advertisements, billboards of where to help. There is bank accounts where you can donate money. There is a lot of organizations helping also from the cultural scene. There is protests happening, it's really a lot going on and way more uh, than I see here in Berlin. But of course, uh, it is the proximity, but also the culture. I mean, Ukraine and Poland, we lived uh, next to each other for so long. Our history is also quite a complicated one. Poland was taking Ukraine and vice versa for many centuries. There was quite some conflicts between us, but I feel now there is new history being built and I feel we are coming back to our roots. And another thing which was also very nice to see is that people of very different political opinion, that is the case in Poland since the country is kind of divided in two between conservatives and liberals are now working together along each other for a better cause to help the Ukrainians and I feel this situation this history might be something positive for Eastern Europe to understand that we have to help each other that we have to work with the shared history we have because we have a better understanding of what is going on and why and that might be the future for us. So on that note, 
I want to continue with this episode, with this series. The trip to Poland gave me a strong motivation to continue and do my solidarity, my little part in the way I can best. I see and feel that there is more of you listening and I'm super happy about it. I hope uh, you can use uh, the suggestions uh, I'm giving you here to research further, to read and watch whatever you like, uh, to follow and Instagram the people. Yeah, use it somehow and altogether try stopping this horrible, horrible war. Without further ado, I finally wanted to introduce the person who curated today's episode, a Ukrainian artist, a photographer, a friend and former classmate, Olga Permiakova. I met Olga back in 2015 when we started our bachelor at the Gerrit Rietveld Academy in Amsterdam and we both decided to study photography and the course took three years. It was a funny bunch of people. In the end, we graduated with the six of us, five of which were women and three of them Eastern Europeans. So we had the Belarusian, Ukrainian and Polish. And I do remember that we were quite often sticking together because that kind of constellation wasn't a usual thing for that time in our academy. Anyway, if any of our former classmates are listening, greetings, hope um, you're doing well. I'm speaking about our studies because the two works that I wanted to share with you today from Olga's portfolio actually do come from the times of our studies and our graduation show. So the first work is titled Capri Blue Traffic Yellow and it is an ongoing project that Olga started back in 2017. And for those living in Amsterdam or in general in the Netherlands, I think you saw it somewhere around, especially in the past month. This work, this project got quite a lot of exposure. Olga just finished a group show, group exhibition at W139 in Amsterdam. But the work was also mentioned in Het Parole, NZZ Amzontag and was on the cover of Das magazine. And here is what Olga writes about this project on her website. A sense of belonging to a particular state, an attachment to its national identity, National idea and national symbols are never stronger than when countries are in conflict with each other. After the revolution of dignity in 2014, followed by the occupation of the eastern part of Ukraine by Russia and now the escalated full-scale war, the patriotism of the Ukrainian people grew enormously. Back in 2017, when I was going back to my hometown, I noticed that more and more objects, which can be painted, are now in the colors of the Ukrainian flag. And it was happening not only in Kiev, but all over the country, because national identity became significantly important. Capri Blue and Traffic Yellow are the actual colors of the Ukrainian flag according to the RAL color matching system. For me, demonstrating this phenomenon is a way to draw the attention of the world to Russia's war against Ukraine. From a visual point of view, I highlighted the elements of post-Soviet architecture that still dominate in my beloved city of Kiev. And if I remember correctly, it started as a photography project where Olga just took the photos herself, but later she invited other people to send her images. So she kind of created this archive of the blue and yellow images 
of very different objects and naturally now years after the whole idea of nationalism patriotism and how it's changing changing the nation and also as i was before saying perhaps changing eastern europe gets a very different light and very different urgency And the second project that I wanted to mention is Camouflage from 2018. That was Olga's graduation work. I remember it also received a lot of positive feedback and even some awards. And here again, an older work, which now, because of the war in Ukraine, gets significance and importance. For this project, Olga interviewed several women soldiers that back then took part in the joint force operation in the eastern part of Ukraine, so the Donbass war and she spoke to them about the situation of women soldiers fighting in combat how it is for them what are they missing how is it to be part of a mostly male dominated ukrainian army from that conversation she created visuals and she played a lot with the idea of the camouflage and here she found an analogy between the camouflage garments which are used during war where soldiers should be hiding in the nature or in the architecture to not be seen by the enemy but then Olga found the analogy to the camouflage or the invisibility of women in society and therefore also in places like the army where they are still of course the minority And looking back at this project of Olga, I also had to think about the conversation I had a while ago with my grandmother. And you can listen back to it. It was a short series I did with my grandmother, three episodes about the Second World War and the communism. And I think in episode two, she speaks exactly about that, how the war wasn't equipped for hosting female soldiers, in general females, how there was no smaller clothes, smaller shoes, how it was difficult to take care of yourself if you were on your period or anything like that. The hygiene level anyway was very low and for females in their days it was of course even harder. A very, very important, interesting conversation. I invite you to listen back to it and again, very relevant to the current situation of all female soldiers fighting not only in Ukraine, but all over the world, actually. So last time Tatiana shared with us three Ukrainian contemporary artists. And today Olga is adding to our list three further cultural recommendations. Number one is a film by Sergei Parayanov titled Shadows of Forgotten Ancestors, made in 1965. Parayanov was born in Georgia to Armenian parents and is considered by film critics, film historians and filmmakers to be one of the greatest and most influential filmmakers in cinema history. Back in the 60s he lived and worked in Kiev and that is when he created his piece which became one of his most famous works representing his artistic and political ideas. The film is available to watch on YouTube in Ukrainian with English subtitles, so almost all of us, I hope, will be able to watch it. I still have to do it. And while researching a little about it to tell you something, I found a review, interesting review about the film from 1978 by Robert Ebert, who was an American film critic, film historian, journalist, screenwriter and author working for the Chicago Sun-Times. 
Ebert writes, After making a film that won awards in London, New York, San Francisco, Mar de Plata and Montreal, you see, Parayanov didn't go on to become one of Russia's leading directors, or Soviet leading directors by then. He went on to become a political prisoner, charged with the usual thing Soviet dissidents are sent away for. He is in the fourth year of a five-year sentence, which he more or less brought upon himself with a fiery address to an artist conference at which he called for an end to socialist realism and the beginning of more subjective personal Soviet films. Shadows of Forgotten Ancestors could stand as an example of the sort of film he was calling for. It's one of the most unusual films I've seen. A barrage of images, music and noises shot with such an active camera we almost need seatbelts. In the Soviet Union, nationalism and regional identities are still highly charged forces. And Parayanov's film is overly regional. He celebrates the births, marriages, deaths and folk customs of people of the Carpathians. Their holidays and festivals seem filled with the energy of countless Zorbas. But then there are the long days of labor. And Parayanov follows them through long winters, storm-swept springs and blistering summers. And here, if you're asking yourself who are those Carpathian people, I prepared a little definition just from Wikipedia uh, to give you a little bit of an idea. So the people from the Carpathian Mountains region were members of the Greek Byzantine Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church. In ethnic diversity, it is inhabited by Ukrainian, Rusin, Lemko, Hungarian, Slovak, Romanian, Bulgarian and Russian populations. But in his film, Parayanov, I suppose, spoke about the East Slavic ethnic group native to Ukraine. Well, and about the story itself is, of course, about love, about family, family dramas, the folklore, the society, the tradition, and so on. And number two is Alina Pash, a Ukrainian singer and rapper. She was born in 1993, that makes her one year older than me, but already doing quite a big career. And I think especially in Ukraine, she became quite big. And what gave her this fame was actually her participation in the Ukrainian X Factor back in 2016. She took part and she won the third place. And from there, her career kind of sparked. I didn't know the singer, but I'm very happy Olga shared Uh, this uh, name with me because I will definitely be a new fan of hers. So Alina was born in the Carpathian Mountains in western Ukraine and that gives us a nice link to the movie we were just speaking about since uh, the film by Sergei Parayanov speaks exactly about the ancestors of that region and also the music and the work of Alina is directly inspired by um, that culture especially looking at the Carpathian people. Also the way she dresses and her music videos, I think 
definitely are very much inspired by the Ukrainian culture, the folklore, but also I feel this dark feminine powers and some witchcraft, which I think is a great combination. Her latest release, Shadows of Forgotten Ancestors, again, the same title as the movie. It cannot be a coincidence. And I feel Olga also wanted me to find this nice red thread going through her recommendations. The song was actually supposed to be competing in this year's Eurovision, representing Ukraine. But unfortunately, Alina had to withdraw. There was some strange investigation going on. And it turned out, or at least this is how the media is showing it, that Alina traveled back in 2015 to Crimea, so the area seized by Russia back in 2014, and she traveled there illegally. So according to the Ukrainian law, Ukrainians and foreigners are only allowed to travel there through official land checkpoints. It is illegal under Ukrainian law to travel to Crimea via Russia. And apparently Alina has provided authorities with the proof of how she entered, but somehow it was not considered to be valid. The only things I saw that Alina was very hurt by these attacks. She got accused of being uh, un-Ukrainian or not Ukrainian enough. And because of that, I guess together with the, with the Eurovision team, she decided to withdraw and not take part in the competition. And I think she would be perfect for that. And the song is a great one. So that's kind of a sad thing for her nevertheless now on her instagram she's definitely very much in support and full solidarity with her country you can see a lot of interesting posts she's making she's also sharing quite some vlogs where she speaks to the audience in english and also writes a lot of english comments so definitely check out her Instagram. She is quite active there, especially now since the beginning of the war. And apart from that, you can also check her songs on YouTube where you have uh, English subtitles to the lyrics. And I feel the lyrics is very important for her music and for her work. And there's also some concert of hers in Warsaw. So if you're in Warsaw and feel like listening to some Ukrainian songs, check out her name and the places where she will be playing. I'm a girl from a small town. My folks are best described in writings of Dumas. One for all and all for one. Nowadays Dante would have written the divine tragedy. But when he Picasso's doll, it's the divine strategy. And my childhood girls played with toy dolls. But I wrote these words here. Cause my favorite toy was a book of Shakespeare. Just like the brothers Grimm, I leave behind a piece of me. Remember your ancestors, but write your own history. And last but not least, number three is an iconic Ukrainian folk art painter, Maria Primashenko. And I'm sure if you Google her name, you might have seen her work somewhere. It is quite an iconic style, very, very characteristic. I myself didn't know the name, but knew the work, so it might be similar for you. So Maria was born in 1908 and died in 1997. That means most of her works were actually created during the Soviet times. So when Ukraine was part of Soviet Union, that's why I think her work was so specifically speaking about the Ukraine culture and identity. 
So it is written in few of the sources that her work was done in the naive art style. And I was a bit researching what that art style means. And it basically uh, describes a work by artists without a formal training, which seems a little bit funny because, of course, in those times, women didn't get the same access to education as men. Anyway, Maria did quite well. She trained herself to be a very iconic and big, not only Ukrainian, but internationally known artist. And she indeed started by a very crafty embroidery style that was taught to her by her mom and I guess also grandmothers, since it was a very domestic way to just embroider and sew and things like that. And later on, she also uh, moved towards working with ceramics, but mainly painting. So the paintings are her mostly known pieces. In the 30s, she was discovered by an artist, Tatiana Floru, who invited Maria to work at the Central Experimental Workshop of the Kiev Museum of Ukraine Art. And that is where her work kind of took on the momentum and became more and more popular. And what Maria wants to show in her work is definitely inspired by the Ukrainian culture, but particularly the Polynesian folk traditions. So in her work, you will see inspirations from fairy tales. So there's a lot of mystical creatures, elements from folklore. So there is fauna and flora, a lot of colorful animals. And in general, color, I think, is very important in her work and geometry. So there's a lot of repetitions and a lot of geometrical shapes representing uh, different folkloric aspects. In many sources, again, <laughs> I found that Pablo Picasso, when visiting her studio or meeting her somewhere, said, and here I quote, I bow down before the artistic miracle of this brilliant Ukrainian. And indeed, it's super nice that Pablo Picasso said that. But uh, seems funny that there needs to be a man to confirm the talent of a woman. Anyway, Pablo Picasso loved the work of Maria Primashenko and so do we. The sad thing is that it was reported that in the current war in Ukraine, uh, Russia destroyed a lot of her works. There was bombs thrown on few of the museums where her work was stored and a lot of the pieces got destroyed. I read somewhere there was a hero, like one person who entered this uh, building and saved few of her works. So there is some pieces that got saved, but a lot of it got destroyed. And there is some speculations that this attack was not an accident, that the bombings of the museums where the work of Marina Primashenko was located was not a mistake that Putin really wanted to target specifically those works and this artist since she really stands for the Ukrainian culture and identity and is almost an icon of that, a visual icon. And since the idea of the Russian army and Putin is to destroy their Ukrainian culture and history and tell that it's just Russia, this seems very possible. After the world found out about this destruction, about the destruction of her works, 
one of her paintings uh, representing a white dove standing for peace became a symbol of the current protest. I think mainly in Ukraine you could see demonstrators holding uh, the poster of her painting with captions to stop the war and advocating for peace. So this was it from Olga and for the very very end I again wanted to recommend you a movie. A movie I came across while visiting the Ukrainian Film Festival here in Berlin. I think it was last year. Uh, it is a movie that I didn't manage to see but I see it all the time now that it's happening, that it's being played. I think it won a lot of awards also at the festival. So I thought if you have the chance, check out the trailer and maybe you can find it somewhere. It is a movie titled Stop Zemilia by a young Ukrainian director, Katerina Gornostai. And it was made in 2021. It is a feature film, uh, filmed in Ukraine and about Ukraine. So definitely an important one to see and support. And hear what it is about. 16-year-old Masha experiences her pre-graduate year at a Kiev school with her friends Jana and Senya. After she falls in love with her classmate Sasha, it forces introverted and sensitive Masha to leave her comfort zone. An aesthetic and sensitive coming of age about Ukrainian youth. Thank you so much for joining me today and next time I will provide you with more sources to Ukrainian culture and art.